I want to continue part two of something we did a couple of weeks ago. Anybody come to get blessed today? Oh, guess a few of you didn't. I want to continue what we started a few weeks ago on the priestly blessing. And God continues to stir me up on this. That the, the only difference between you and anybody else in the world is God's blessing on your life. It boils down to something that simple. Now, you may get an education, you may have certain abilities and, and all that. I'm not taking away from that. But in the end, what makes the difference is God's blessing on your life. And when you see that, it will stir you up like Jacob was stirred up to say, I will not let you go until you bless me. Fauci was talking about a man who said, I need God. Well, I'll go a step further. I need the blessing of God. I need the blessing of God on my life. Otherwise, my life is useless. My life is vain. It has no point. The blessing of God. And that's why, as we saw in our first session on this, and we're going to complete it today, God gave Aaron and the priests not only the charge, but gave them the power to pronounce His blessing on the people. I want you to think about that. God gave men the ability to pronounce a blessing on the people. And God said, whenever you do this, I'm going to bless them and I'm going to put my name upon them. I got a question for you. You and I are priests and ministers of God on a whole different level from Aaron and his sons and the Levites in the Old Testament. We are now priests by virtue of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Who do you think has a better and a more powerful ministry? We today or Aaron and his sons in the Old Testament? The Bible is very clear. Read the book of Hebrews. We have a better ministry, a better covenant, a better sacrifice, better hope, better promises. So if they had this under the old covenant, my goodness, what is God wanting to do through you and me now? Not only to receive blessing, but to have the power to give blessing to other people. We say, God bless you when somebody sneezes. We're not talking about just some empty word. We're talking about real, tangible blessing that comes upon a person's life. And we're going to review a few passages quickly and then move on into the remainder of this today. We begin where we began last time, with the priestly blessing. In Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 to 27. Numbers 6, 22 to 27. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, not think about it, say this to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace. So, look at verse 27, so they will put 
my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. We saw many places in the scriptures last time, starting in Genesis 1, God has always been in the blessing business. He made Adam and Eve. He blessed them. He blessed Noah. He blessed Abraham. And we place special significance on the blessing of Abraham. Because we're going to look a little bit deeper into that today. Whatever God blessed Abraham with is yours and it's mine today. Apparently most of you didn't understand that. Whatever God blessed Abraham with is yours. Because the blessing of Abraham is now ours through Jesus Christ. I'll show you that again through the Scriptures. That'll change your whole life when you get that revelation. You're blessed. Supremely blessed by God. So, God likes to bless people. But sometimes, like Jacob, we need to wrestle for it. He wrestled all night and said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Now, I want to read these verses again to help you to begin to get this into your spirit. What does it mean to be blessed? And we're going to go to Deuteronomy 28, where God explains what a blessing looks like. you like to see what a blessing looks like? Here's what it looks like. Deuteronomy 28, starting with verse 2. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. Now, here's what it looks like. You will be blessed in the city, and you will be blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed. Your family will be blessed. The crops of your land, the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds, and the lambs of your flocks. Now, most of us aren't farmers anymore. But what it means is, whatever you do for a living, your job, your career, your work, whatever you touch your hands to, will be blessed. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. Even your cooking will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. Are you getting the picture? This is not a Sunday morning blessing or a Sabbath day blessing. This is an all day, all night, all month, all year, all life blessing. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you're going to be under this thing called the blessing of God. Verse 7, The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but flee from you in seven. Here's what blessing looks like. It's called victory. Amen. It's called enemies under your feet. It's called demons fleeing away from you. It's called you are the one winning, not the devil, not the enemies. They were always to win when they were under the blessing of God. All your enemies will be defeated. Verse 8. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything. What's everything mean? Is it kind of like all? Everything you put your hand to. Now, you don't have to put your hand up if you don't want to, but mine's already up. How many of you 
do not like to put your hands to something, put a lot of sweat and blood and tears and effort into something, and in the end it comes to nothing. How many of you don't like that? I don't like that at all. And many hours of my life in the past have thus been spent in what seemed to end up in vain effort. That's not a blessing. That is not a blessing. The blessing is, whatever you put your hands to, it prospers, it succeeds, it's a blessing. The Lord your God will bless you in the land He is giving you. The Lord will establish you as His holy people. I like the word establish. It talks about stability. You're not up and down, fluctuating, turning to the right and the left. They were established as God's holy people. It was a spiritual blessing even for Israel. Then, verse 10, all the peoples on earth, and this is what I emphasized last time and I want to keep emphasizing it today. This blessing is so manifest, it's so real, it's so tangible, other people see it on you. Other nations would recognize this on the nation of Israel that they had been blessed by God. We're not talking about some imaginary thing, well, I feel blessed. No. Listen to this carefully. All, what's all mean? All. Not all. All the peoples on earth. And we talked about this last time. They're still seeing it today. They can't explain why the Jewish people are so uniquely blessed with every kind of talent and ability we talked about. Here's why. All the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your ground in the land He swore to give your forefathers to give you. Prosperity is not just having a pocket full of money. There are a lot of people with lots of money that are not prospering. They're miserable. We're not just talking about money. That may be a part of it. Prosperity is something that covers the whole person. Prospering in your mind, in your emotions, in your relationships, in your health, in every area of your life. Prosperity, abundant prosperity. Verse 12, the Lord will open the heavens. This is getting better as we read along. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of His bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail, if you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them. You will always, what's always mean? You will always be at the top, never at the bottom. Wow! Now, this blessing was for Abraham and his descendants. Tuck that away. Because in a few minutes, I'm going to show you, if you weren't with us last time, that all of this and more is promised to us now as believers in Jesus Christ. 
I'll, I'll make it absolutely clear. No room for any doubt. Okay? So this blessing that the priests were to pronounce upon the people of God was just confirming what God had already stated in His Word. This is what I'm going to do for you. This blessing is going to be on all of you, always, all the time. And we talked uh, last session about Balaam. How he was hired by Balak to curse Israel. And every time he stood up and opened his mouth, a curse wouldn't come out. A blessing came out. And finally he says, look, we've got to stop this foolishness. I can't curse them because God's already blessed them. And later on in Deuteronomy it says, God actually turned the curse into a blessing. So even when, here's Balaam trying to curse Israel, he opens his mouth and a blessing comes out. He, he couldn't change what God had already put on these people. Let me tell you something. When God blesses you, no one can curse you. No curse can come upon you when God blesses you. And we saw in Acts and in Romans and in Galatians, many places, this Truth that I want to take a couple minutes to go over again now. The blessing of Abraham is yours and it's mine now through Jesus Christ. Okay? In Romans 10. Let's go there. This is review. I don't want to take too long because we still have some other ground to cover today. But in Romans 10, everybody knows these verses from verse 8. The word is near you, it's in your mouth, in your heart. The word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone. What's anyone mean? Anyone who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. But listen very carefully to the next verse. There is no difference now between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all. And what? What's he talking about here? Now there, there is a distinction between a Jew and a Gentile. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is the key word there, blesses. The blessing is now the same. There's no distinction between Jew and Gentile because the same Lord is Lord of all and He's now going to richly bless Jew or Gentile. Doesn't matter. All. What's all mean? Come on. I'm keeping you awake here today. He's Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. Let me see if you're awake again. How many would like to be richly blessed by God? Okay, you're in a good place today then. Because He wants to. That's what He wants to do. And don't be thinking, gosh, I wish I was a child of Abraham. Man, all that stuff we read from Deuteronomy 28, that would be pretty cool. Well, under the Old Covenant, there were a lot of people like that. And they actually converted to Judaism. So that they could come under that blessing. There were many, many non-Jewish people that had converted to Judaism because they wanted the blessing. They saw it. 
on Abraham and his descendants and said, what must I do to partake in this blessing? Well, they had to convert and become a Jew. All right? There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, richly blesses all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But now, let's go to Galatians 3. If you're not real familiar with these verses, I would strongly urge you to go home and study them carefully because they affect your life greatly. Galatians 3, we're going to read from verse 7 to 14. Notice the first word. Understand. This is very, very important to understand. Understand then that those who believe, Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter, those who believe are what? Children of Abraham. That's pretty simple right there. You believe? Abraham's now your father. Romans 4 talks about that too. Abraham is your father. You're a child of Abraham. Can you imagine how many people would like to have been Isaac? Wow, Abraham's my papa. Or even Jacob to be the grandson of Abraham. You're in that direct line. You're going to get the full blessing of Abraham. Paul comes along and says, got even better news for you now. You believed in Jesus Christ. You are a child of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance. Do you know where the gospel was announced in advance? He's going to quote for us from Genesis 12, the first book of the Bible. God's already announcing His gospel, and He's already making it clear there. This gospel will not just be for Jews, it will be for Gentiles as well. Here's what he says. The Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham... All nations will be blessed through the, through you. That was the blessing, part of the blessing God gave to Abraham in Genesis 12. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written... Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He, Jesus, redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Read this verse again with me out loud. Galatians 3.14. Are you ready? He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, 
so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. He did it all in order that this scripture in Genesis 12 would be fulfilled. The Gentiles now come under the same blessing that was promised to Abraham because of their faith in the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ. Now, the second part of the Aaronic blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you. I shared last time something that I had, I had never seen before. I was digging deeper into this, and it has continued to minister to me for the last two weeks. The word keep, the Lord keep you. It's a, it's a word used often in the Bible. And it's a Hebrew word, shamar, that literally means to hedge about with thorns. That's what it means. Put a hedge with big long thorns on it, all around something, and it, of course, carries the meaning of protecting, keeping, preserving something. If you got a hedge with thorns sticking out, nothing's going to mess with you. And that concept, apparently, was clearly understood by Satan. Way back in the Old Testament. Because you remember in Job 1, there's a lot of stuff going on in heaven that Job didn't know about. <laughs> Conversations taking place up there in heaven, not in hell, in heaven between God and the devil. Some people have trouble understanding that, but it's in the Bible. Satan has access to heavenly places. There are evil forces in heavenly places. And so Satan went into the presence of God... And said, look, I know you have built a hedge around Job and all that pertains to him. I can't touch him. Have you thought about that? Let's just pause for a minute. Satan realized I can't touch him or his kids or his livestock or any of his stuff. I can't get to him because you put a hedge around him. Satan had to beg God for permission to remove that hedge so he could get at Job and his kids and his stuff. There's a hedge of protection that God puts around us and Satan has to get permission to break through it. And God will allow it only for one reason. And Job finally began to understand what was going on. He said, when the Lord is done testing me, I will come forth as tried gold. God will allow things in your life to test you, to prove you, to increase you. But make no mistake, God must allow it. So whenever the priest stood and said, the Lord bless you and keep you, what he was really saying is, guard you, protect you, Keep that hedge with thorns all around you so nothing can come at you, nothing can touch you or your family or your household. The word is found in Psalm 91. Everybody knows the psalm. It's repeated over and over in Psalm 121. The Lord is your keeper, Israel. He who watches over you. That's the same word. Watches over you. The Lord will 
keep you, same word, from all harm. This is for the Old Testament Jews. Will keep you from all harm, both now and forevermore. So, the second part of this blessing is protection. Being kept. Being guarded by God. We have no idea how many things God saves us from. How many darts, how many arrows, how many uh, attacks of the enemy He shields us from. We have no idea. But once in a while, for His own purposes, He'll allow us to be tried. He'll allow us to be tested. But make no mistake, we are being kept by the power of God. We are being kept from many, many things that unbelievers are not kept from. Now, let's move on now to the third part of the blessing. This is where we left off last time. The Lord bless you and keep you and make His face shine upon you. There are actually two blessings contained in the Aaronic blessing that have to do with God's face. But they're a little bit different, but it's there for emphasis. And I think you'll see after we look at this first one, what the second one means. The Lord make His face shine upon you. The Message Bible says, may God smile on you. That's pretty nice. But whenever the Bible talks about God's face... It speaks about being in His presence. And whenever God turns His face away, it means you're not in His presence. He's not shining on you. He's not smiling down on you. And in Isaiah 59, there are many, many scriptures, but this one will be enough. In Isaiah 59, we see the negative side of this. What happens... And why does it happen that sometimes God turns His face away? Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. And I think understanding what turns His face away will help us to understand this blessing. May the Lord turn His face to you. May He make His face shine on you. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor His ear too dull to hear. But, your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He will not hear. That's not a good thing. God's not hearing. God's not shining. You're not seeing Him. You're not hearing Him. You're cut off. That's what it means. So to have God make His face shine on you means to bring you into His presence, bring you into communion with Him. You talk to Him. He hears you. He's talking to you. You have a face-to-face relationship. The Lord make His face shine. I like this one. I learned something new here too. It comes from the Hebrew word or. Kind of like our word, 
and or. O-R. It means to be luminous or glorious, but it also means to kindle or set on fire. And the analogy seems to fit very nicely with the sun. The sun produces light, but it also produces heat. All of the heat energy that comes to the earth comes from the sun. Tremendous amount of heat energy every day we receive from the sun. So when God makes His face shine on you, it doesn't just mean you've come into His presence. He's heating you up. He's warming you. He's setting you on fire. He's taking away the coldness from your spiritual life and from your heart. And so, we could go on and on about this, but I think you get the point. When God makes His face shine on me, I'm in the light of God. He's illuminating me. He's warming me. He's smiling on me. I feel His nearness. I feel His presence. I feel His, his closeness. And don't misunderstand me. We're not looking for feelings. We're looking for God. God says, if you search for me with your whole heart, you will find me. And something very real happens in your life when you come into the presence of God. It's not something imaginary. You feel power. You feel glory. You feel joy. You feel something that you'll never feel anywhere else in the universe. Coming into the presence of God. The psalmist David got it right. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, pleasures forevermore. So God making His face shine on you is bringing you into all that joy, all that pleasure that comes from communion with God. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, it talks about how God is now shining into our hearts through the face of Jesus Christ to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Glory, illumination comes when His face is shining on us. So, the Lord bless you, keep you, make His face shine on you, and here's a big one, and be gracious to you. Be gracious to you. God is a God of grace. He is seated on a throne of grace. His Word is a Word of grace. And so, grace is a very, very important characteristic of God that we need to understand. And part of this blessing was, may God show you His grace. May He be gracious to you. A couple of other words that we could use. It means for Him to bestow kindness. We often use the word favor. Unearned. Unmerited favor. This is not, God, come on, give me some grace because you owe it to me. I was a good boy all week. Give me some grace. had nothing to do with how good a boy or a girl you were. This is undeserved, unearned, unmerited. It's a free gift, no strings attached. The gospel that we preach, the gospel that saves us, is a gospel of grace. And Paul was adamant about this. If you try to add anything else to it, you destroy the grace. 
It's either by works or it's by grace. But if it's by grace, it's for an unworthy sinner that just believes in God. And God downloads all of His favor, all of His kindness, all of His goodness on that person. And there's a danger, and listen to me carefully, for all of us, the longer we're in church, the greater the tendency for us to move away from grace back into law, back into legalism. Now, we may not be observing the law of Moses and going through all the rituals that the Jews did under the Old Testament, but we start to base our relationship with God more and more on what I do, my performance. And Christians like that, they are like the roller coaster at the theme park. We have some up days and down days, some up days and some down days. I did good today, so I feel good. But tomorrow I might do bad and I'm feeling down. But when you understand grace, I'm not saying we should try to sin and and disobey God, but we mess up. And even when you mess up, you go right back to a God of grace, receive His grace, receive His mercy, receive the benefits of the cross, and you keep on going. It's undeserved. Now, remember, I emphasized this at the beginning. God's blessing, He said, was going to be something that all the other nations would see. Keep that in the back of your mind. Because we're going to look at one example of how God's grace on a person's life was tangible, it was visible. Unbelievers saw it. Heathen people recognized Man, there's something on this guy. You may have guessed I'm talking about Joseph. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 39. Let's just take one little sliver out of the story of Joseph. I love these verses. Genesis 39 from verse 2 to 5. By this time... Joseph has hit hit some bumps in the road. Some big ones. Um, He's been betrayed by all of his brothers who were jealous of him. He's been sold as a slave into Egypt. And he's now working as a slave in an Egyptian's house. And I can just imagine how most of us would have reacted to all that. Oh... I'm not serving God anymore. This isn't working good for me. I tried to serve the Lord. I tried to pray. I tried to live right. And look what it got me. Here I'm in prison. I'm done with this God stuff. A lot of people do that. But listen to Joseph's story. In Egypt, as far as he knows, he'll never see his father, his brothers again. He's a stranger in a strange land, and he's a slave. And it says in verse 2, The Lord was with Joseph. Say that with me. The Lord was with Joseph. Oh, that makes a lot of difference. Because when the Lord is with you, you prosper. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. 
When his master saw. When his master, this is an Egyptian, he doesn't know the Lord. He's not saved. Doesn't know anything about God. But he has eyes. He can see things. He apparently saw something. When his master saw that the Lord, now can people see the Lord? Can unsaved people see the Lord? No, God's invisible. He's a spirit. What does this mean then? Obviously there was some tangible evidence of the Lord in Joseph's life. Because it says, when his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in a few things. In everything he did. Remember Deuteronomy 28? That's the blessing of Abraham. God with him, making his face shine upon him, giving him favor, giving him grace, giving him success in everything that he did. Next verse. Ah, oh, remember that word? Joseph found what? You see, when God is gracious to you, when God gives favor to you, it transmits and translates even into other people showing you favor. Some of you didn't hear that. I'll have to repeat it. Well, I can't repeat it because I can't even remember exactly what I said. But when God begins to show favor in your life, He will often do it through other people. Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Pause a minute. This is a slave. A Hebrew slave. And look what's happened now. He's in charge of this guy's whole house. He's so gifted. He's so responsible. He's so able and capable. The, the head of the house says, Take charge, Joseph. You be in charge of everything. Later on, I'm getting way ahead of the story. We don't have time to look at all of it today. Later on, Joseph would be in prison and the same thing happens in prison. God is with him. Everything Joseph does prospers in the prison and he's put in charge of all the prisoners. <laughs> Joseph found favor. Next verse. From the time Potiphar put Joseph in charge of his household and of all that he owned. The Lord, listen to this, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. I'm starting to get excited today. Did the Egyptian know the Lord? No. Was he a believer? No. Was he living as a good Jew? No, doesn't know anything. All he does is put Joseph in charge and suddenly his whole business, his whole house is getting blessed. Because of, note those words, because of 
Joseph. The blessing of the Lord, say it with me, the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. Let me tell you something, folks. When the blessing of God comes on your life, the place where you work, the place where you go to school, your neighborhood, your family members, your, your friends, your acquaintances, something's going to touch all of them. They may not be able to put it into words, but they're going to see, just like Potiphar saw, man, there's something on this guy. Everything he touches seems to turn to gold. Everything he does seems to prosper. I'm going to give him more and more to do here. I told you two weeks ago, and I'm still feeling it in my spirit, promotion is coming. Promotion is coming. Get ready because God promotes. God gives favor. God wants not just to give you a whole bunch of money or make you somebody famous. God wants people to see Him. And He'll use you to do it, just like He used Joseph here. Everybody in that household realized, man, we've been blessed since this guy came down here. We've all been blessed because of Joseph. That's what favor does. Favor, remember, is not earned. It's not deserved. It's a free gift from the God of favor. The God of grace. And I've heard so many testimonies of God's favor working in a person's life. Maybe there were 400 candidates for a scholarship or for a job position. And here's this little Christian man or woman, not really as qualified as some of the others. And out of the 400, gets the scholarship. Out of the 400, gets the job. Out of the 400, gets promoted. Why? Favor. And when God does it, be very, very careful to recognize it's favor and not, wow, look how smart I am. Woo. Look how many people I've influenced around here. No, 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 no. Get on your face and say, God, I know I don't deserve this. I know there were more qualified people ahead of me for this position, for this scholarship, or for this whatever. But you gave it to me because you loved me. And you wanted to promote me because of your favor. And yeah, it's okay to go around like John the Apostle and say, I'm the one that Jesus loves. Yeah, He loves me. I don't know about you. You figure out where you want to be with Jesus, but He loves me. And when people ask you, why, why are you so blessed? Why are you so happy all the time? How, how come you're, you're not in debt? How come you seem to be doing better than most of the other people in the family? Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. I know people that are zillions of times more qualified than I am. They make so much more money than I do, and yet they're in debt. They can't even pay their mortgage. they got all these problems in their lives. And then they look at us and it's like, how did you all do it? And I honestly tell them, I don't know. I've actually sat and tried to look at the numbers. I can't figure it out. It doesn't add up. Somehow, God has blessed us. 
period. All right, quickly. The Lord bless you, keep you, make His face shine upon you, and be gracious to you. And here it comes again. The Lord turn His face toward you. King James says, lift up His countenance on you. Why does it mention God's face twice in this blessing? That really caught my attention as I was meditating on this whole portion of Scripture. One thing it told me is God really, really, really wants us to come into His presence. He wants us to have that experience. And let me tell you something. You can have all the promotions, all the money, all the titles, all the money in the world. If you don't have God's presence, you're lost. You're lost. You're not blessed. You're under a curse if you're not living in God's presence. And so, one of the things the Lord spoke to me, this is a double blessing. A double part of the blessing because it's so important. You can leave everything else out. But if you are living in the presence of God, His face smiling on you, man, you got it all. You got it all. It seems to reinforce, even with some stronger language, the Lord turn His face toward you. First one was make His face shine on you, but now He's turning to you. He's focusing on you. He's placing His eyes directly on you. It seems to talk about even a greater closeness where you have God's full attention. And maybe you haven't thought about this a lot, but there's quite a bit in the Scriptures about God having His eye on you. (laughs) That scares some people. Ooh, I don't want God looking at me. I don't want Him to see what I'm doing. Really? Maybe you need to repent then. Because if you're walking uprightly, you want God looking at you. You want His eyes on you. What do we sing? His eye is on the sparrow. His eye is on you. I don't want God taking His eyes off of me. Maybe I say or do some stuff that upsets Him, but I'm going to run back to Him and repent. I want Him to keep looking at me. I want Him to keep turning His face toward me. And... This could also possibly uh, imply when God is turning His face to you, He's listening. It means He's going to listen to your prayers. He's going to hear what you have to say. It's a face-to-face closeness. And then finally, the Lord bless you, keep you, make His face shine upon you, be gracious to you, turn His face toward you, and give you Peace. Everybody's heard the Hebrew word shalom, right? That's the word that Jewish people in Israel use to greet one another. Shalom. It means more than peace. And to a Jewish mind who understands Hebrew, shalom doesn't just mean peace, brother. It means a whole bunch of stuff. Let me read to you some of the meanings that are conveyed in this one word. It's a very rich word. Shalom. Safe. Well. Whole. Happy. Welfare. Health. Prosperity. And peace. Kind of covers all the bases. 
It's like everything else that we've talked about in the blessing. The Lord blessing you. The Lord keeping you. Putting a hedge around you. By the way, that same word I found the other day in Deuteronomy 7 where God told the Israelites, I will keep you from all sickness and disease. I will keep you. I'll put a hedge around you. Viruses, bacteria, bugs, all these things that cause disease, they will not be able to penetrate that hedge of thorns. But now to sort of sum it all up, give you shalom, wholeness, health, wellness, prosperity. It doesn't just mean a wellness or a wholeness in your physical body. I know some people who are very healthy and their bodies and their minds are all screwed up. And, you know, we take a lot for granted until things go wrong. And man, how quickly this mind can go. How quickly it can go out. I've seen it too many times in my life. Just like somebody flicked a switch and the mind is all messed up. The Lord keep your mind. The Lord give you shalom in your mind. The Lord give you a sound mind. That's exactly what Paul talks about. God's not given us a spirit of fear. Power and love and a sound mind. A shalom mind. Third John 2, let's put it up. The third epistle of John. Short little thing. Only has one chapter. 3 John chapter 1 and verse 2. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. Notice it's not just physical well-being. You can be healthy in your body, but your soul can be real sick. So, the apostle here is praying, wishing, hoping. I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you. We saw that in the blessing of Abraham. Whatever you touch, wherever you go, whatever you do, it's all going to go well. Even as your soul is getting along well. You know, if you study the New Testament carefully, it talks about several different things and they're not the same. It talks about the peace of God. It also talks about peace with God. Two different things. I don't have time to go into it today, but they're different. But this includes all of that. Peace with God. The peace of God. And even peace with other people. How many of you know a bad relationship with one person can ruin your whole life? It can certainly wreck your whole day. Just one person. God knows that, and so does the devil. That's why God urges us, forgive. Be a peacemaker. Be a reconciler. As much as lies in your power, live at peace with all men, with all people. Be at peace with everybody. Don't go to bed all agitated. Oh, I hate so-and-so. I'm going to get even with so-and-so. People get sick doing that. Physically sick. They've proven it. Doctors know 
that causes high blood pressure, heart attacks, cancer, and all the rest. We don't need all that. Work at it. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. Yeah, but pastor, you don't know what they did to me. No, I don't. You don't know what they did to Jesus on the cross. And He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Forgiveness is not an option. It's part of shalom. It's part of you preserving this peace in your life. Shalom means freedom from fear, worry, sickness, and you can fill in the blanks. It's freedom. It's a quietness. Your life is settled in God. You have peace with God. Now, let me finish all of this with verse 27. Back to number 6, 27. We're done with the blessing, but God has one final instruction that He gives through Moses for Aaron and the priests. Number 6, 27. There we go. So, they, the ones pronouncing the blessing, will put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. It's a strange expression. I will put my name on them. Now, when do you put your name on stuff? When it's yours. If, if I find Pastor Quasi's Bible here, I'm not going to go over there and write, Wayne. It's not mine. God puts His name on that which is His. And there's a lot in Scripture about this. For instance, in Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6, God told the Israelites, If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. In other words, you're mine. I redeem you. The whole concept of redemption is to buy something. It belongs to God if it's been redeemed. If you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, you're not your own. You are not your own. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to God now. And that means He can put His name on you. And there's a lot in the New Testament about this too. I'll just give you two verses. Revelation 3, verses 10 to 12. Revelation 3 the message to the church in Philadelphia, one of the seven messages to the churches there in Revelation. Um, from verse 10, Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you, there it is, keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. And here it comes. I will write on him 
the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. So we got God writing his name. We have the name of the city of God, New Jerusalem, and we have Jesus all putting their name on these overcomers in the Philadelphia church. Speaking about the bride of Christ, those who are going up in the rapture when Jesus returns, means they belong to Him. And I don't have time to go into all of it today, but people often ask me, Pastor, who's going up in the rapture? I often say, do you want the long answer or the short one? Please give us the short one. Okay, I'll give you the short one. He's coming for those that belong to Him. Have a nice day. That's it. He's coming for those that belong to Him. That's all. Now, you have to ask yourself, and I have to ask myself, do I really belong to Him? Or am I still running the show? Am I still in charge of my own life? Do I think I own my life? Or does my life really belong to God? Revelation 14 and verse 1, it says, Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb, standing on Mount Zion, and with Him 144,000, who had His name and His Father's name written on their foreheads. Again, signifying these people belonged to God. They belonged to Jesus. So, when God says, I'll put My name on the Israelites, they're mine. They're mine. I redeemed them for my purposes, for my glory. They belong to me. Now, in closing, when Paul writes to the Romans, he says something very interesting at the end of his epistle. And I don't know if we can put up King James for this next verse, because it's a little bit more accurate and clearer in the King James. Romans 15 and verse 29. Maybe you've never seen this before, and I really don't like what the NIV did with it. And the King James is just directly from the Greek, so it's a, it's a very good translation. Ready? Paul says, I'm sure that when I come to you, he was getting ready to visit them, I'm sure that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Wow. Paul had that assurance that when he visited churches, when he preached, when he ministered here, there, or wherever, he was going under this blessing from God. Where did he get it? Through the gospel. I'm going to come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Not Paul's own blessing. Not Paul's cute personality. But the blessing of God is going to come to you through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray this verse every time I go to minister somewhere. I, I beg God. I said, Lord, I can't bless anybody. 
I can't bless anything. I can't do anything. But I can go in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel. And if I'm careful to present the good news of the gospel and to preach Christ, guaranteed blessing will come. Because the gospel has fullness of blessing. One last verse. Ephesians 1 and verse 3. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, past tense, done what? He has what? You're shy. Say it real loud so the devil can hear you. He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. How many? All. What kind? With all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. He's already done it. He's already done it. That's why, as we were saying earlier, we have plenty of reasons to praise God. We're not waiting for something to happen before we praise God. We have reasons. Here's a good one. God's already blessed me with all spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. I am a child of Abraham. All of the blessings that were promised to Abraham are mine now simply because I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's all stand. Father, you are a God who apparently enjoys blessing. You like to bless people. You like to bless nations. You like to bless things. But, oh God, you also are a God who curses things that are opposed to you. Things that are contrary to your nature and to your will. You curse disobedience. You curse sin. You curse things that are the opposites of your character. And God, it is our desire as Christians, as children of God, and yes, children of Abraham, to learn how to live in, walk in, and distribute your blessing. Throughout the earth. Lord I thank you today. That you've made it clear to us. Through your word. That there's no distinction now. Between Jew and Gentile. The same blessing. Is for all. Who call on you. And Lord. We are calling on the name of Jesus. Because there's salvation in no other name. We are embracing. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that's where the fullness of blessing resides in the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, I am praying for each and every one here today that we would begin to see a tangible manifestation of Your favor, Your keeping power, Your peace, Your shalom, Your prosperity, Your abundance, Your wholeness. For our lives, for our families, for our relationships. Father, in the name of Jesus, without your blessing, 
we are nothing. We can do nothing. We can accomplish nothing. And we humble ourselves under your mighty hand today. And God, we promise that whenever you bless us, whenever you show favor to us, whenever you promote us, we're not going to take the glory for ourselves, but we're going to acknowledge that it's the grace of God. It's the favor of God. Father, release your favor in our homes, in our families, upon our children, our grandchildren. Make it so real and so obvious that even their employers, their school teachers, their friends will acknowledge that there's something different about this young man or this young woman. Oh, Father, we thank you today for blessing us, for keeping us, for making your face shine upon us, for being gracious to us, turning your face toward us, and giving us your shalom peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen and amen.